Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. It took quite a journey to get there, but I ended up making some pretty major life changes for myself, which I'm happy to say I am now off all diabetes medication with an A1C well within the normal range uh, without any sort of diabetes medication at all. And today's guest will be sharing his story of how he got himself into a state of good health after a lot of hard work. We'll speak with Jeff Bishop, who, as a result of being born prematurely, had to deal with a number of medical issues, including becoming a diabetic. And he will tell us about his journey to control his diabetes by making a series of lifestyle changes. But first, for our tip of the week, this week's tip comes from Jeff Bishop. It's doing what you can as an individual to be able to improve yourself. So don't feel like you have to, you know, be magical and do everything that I did because that's not necessarily what has to happen. It's what you're comfortable with and what you feel that you can achieve. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by the Intracortical Visual Prosthesis Project, as described in episode 2151. Interested volunteer participants can learn more at www.chicagolighthouse.org ICVP or contact them at ICVP at IIT.edu. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Jeff. Today's guest has been with us on the show several times in the past, but for people who may have missed you, maybe Jeff, you can tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. Thanks, you guys, very much. I'm Jeff Bishop, and uh, for my day job, I work as a program manager at Microsoft working on the Windows Accessibility team, working on Narrator. Outside of work, I am heavily involved in the American Council of the Blind. I'm a board member there. And just spending time with my family and working on trying to improve uh, all things related to my health and, and all of those things, So, which is, is what we're here to talk about today. Last week, we had you and Tom Tobin on the show talking about accessibility of various types of medical equipment and supplies? Right. We did that. Uh-huh. And I brought up that it would be interesting to talk about how I've sort of managed my health, my story a little bit. I think it's uh, somewhat unique, but I, I think really the message that I'm trying to empower and convey to everyone is really, it's up to you as an individual to take control of your health and your situation and to make sure that you're looking out for yourself uh, and advocating for yourself, not only in health, but really in all aspects of what you do day to day. That's what we're here to talk about. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. 
This week's focus topic is the importance of taking control of your own health and Jeff's path to do just that. In the introduction, Jeff, you hinted at the fact that today we'll be talking about your personal journey through some of these health issues. So why don't you start at the beginning? Sure. So, well, first of all, I, when I was born, I was born about three and a half months premature. So I was a, a very small baby. In fact, my mother told me I fit in the palm of her hand. My twin brother uh, passed away after he was born. I was, was born blind. And had a number of challenges uh, as I grew up. So it was a pretty interesting childhood. You know, had spinal meningitis, um, epileptic seizures and all of that, but pretty much grew out of those situations. But one of the things that I found out later in life at about the age of 30 was that I was classified as a type 2 diabetic. The interesting thing, though, was that they could have classified me as a type 1.5. That's probably what they would have done. Uh, because after doing exhaustive testing and trying to figure out, well, what's going on, we normally don't see this situation in someone of that age, even if they have a bit of weight that they probably could lose, what was the immediate cause? And for me, it was due to a pancreas that was not fully developed. And so that's why they, they sort of classified me in, in, in this area. I'm surprised being premature, which often comes with its own problems, that they didn't pick this up earlier. Yes, exactly. That's what that's what my endocrinologist said, that they were very shocked that they didn't pick this up because they would have probably treated me differently uh, and probably kept a closer eye on it. And what was the trigger that led them to identify the problem when you were 30? My mom was also a, a diabetic, so I knew all the signs of, of what to look for. And one night I woke up and couldn't quench my thirst. And I thought, oh, man, I, I know exactly what this is. And sure enough, I went to the doctor and walked in with a blood sugar of 300 and went and got a glucose tolerance test and did all those things. And sure enough, that's what it came back. 300 sounds like a big number, but what's it supposed to be? It depends on who you talk to. Really, you want to keep your numbers below 200 and really below 150. And if you have a really, really aggressive endocrinologist, he'll tell you to keep numbers below 120, which is, you know, really hard to do. But the the main factor that you want to shoot for is an A1C, which is a a measure of your blood glucose over a three-month period of less than seven. And according to the Endocrinology Association, less than 6.5. Now, my endocrinologist didn't like anything over, you know, 6.1 or 6.2. And I had a 13.6 when I was diagnosed. Ouch. That's also high. Yeah. What's interesting is, is that I was diagnosed in about August and about two months prior to that, I went to the seeing eye to get a guide dog. And of course they do all kinds of blood work and a physical and all of that. And while my blood sugar was slightly elevated, it was nowhere near that level. So this came on very, very suddenly. But what really terrified me was when I went to see a nephrologist. A nephrologist is a doctor who specializes in kidneys. And I already had had some damage to my kidneys already due to this. And he sat me down and basically said, you know, if you don't get this under control, you'll be on dialysis by the age of 50 and dead by uh, the end of that decade, by the age of 60, if you don't take control of it. I bet that got your attention. Yeah, it did. And, and he did 
exactly what he was intending to do, which was to to really, you know, scare me. And you said at that point you were a bit overweight. Yeah, but I wasn't as overweight as I had gotten to. So because of having Dawn effect numbers and other things, I was put on uh, a low regimen of insulin at night to be able to help bring those numbers down in the morning. That made me gain some weight. So I got up to, um, sadly, and which I'm not happy about, about 340, 350 pounds. I'm not there now. Now at or near 200 now. So that was probably the first advice they gave you was, in addition to some of the medications, to lose a bit of weight. That must have been a challenge. It was. Um, not only that, but but exercise and diet and, you know, all the things that they tell you to do, um, I really needed to, to study up on. So in other words, change your life habits. Change my life habits entirely. Yeah, exactly. That's a big deal. It's a big, big deal. And how did you react to that advice? So I did a bunch of studying. And of course, you know, 25 years ago, we didn't have a lot of the technology that we have today. We don't have accessible continuous glucose monitoring solutions. We don't have talking glucometers that didn't cost $1,000. You know, we didn't have a lot of these things that we have today that help us maintain and control uh, and learn about our bodies to see how food affects or impacts us. Now we do. So there's really no excuse, you know. Back then, it was much more difficult to deal with. So there there were significant challenges. And it's important to have the feedback because otherwise you don't know if what you're doing is being effective. You don't know. That's right. And so that's the other thing that that you really need to understand, which is uh, find someone who is a great diabetic educator who is willing to spend the time with you to, to help you learn how to... You know, if you're going to use a, gl a glucometer, um, how to do that effectively as a blind person, because it can be done, but it, it takes practice and it takes someone that can really have the patience to, to work with you to, to manage that. And this is a crucial piece of equipment for a diabetic. The glucometer is what you use to measure your blood sugar level. Right. Now, I, I would suggest instead of using a glucometer today, that one would look at something like either Dexcom or the Freestyle Libre, because first of all, they're far more accessible. You don't have the issue of blood placement. You simply place a sensor on your body. Your arm probably is probably the preferred spot. And then you can scan that or just monitor that with your iPhone or your Android phone. You know, you don't have to prick your finger. You don't have to worry about whether or not that's going to impact you reading Braille, right? There's all of these things that you need to think about when, when you're doing that. Now, the problem is, is that freestyle and, and these other types of things are sometimes difficult to get on insurance. The best piece of advice that I would do is, is again, be your best advocate. Go to your medical team. Explain to them in detail why it's important that you have this solution because you may not even be on insulin. And so a lot of the insurance companies mandate that you are testing, you know, X number of times a day and that you're um, insulin dependent. But in this case, you may not be. But because you are blind and cannot effectively get bl blood onto the strip effectively, because it can be tricky, then you need this alternative from, from an accessibility perspective. And if you get your endocrinologist to write a letter and talk with the insurance company, there's probably a good chance that you're going to be able to make that magic happen for you. So these days, it sounds like 
some of these tools to monitor your own levels and get the kind of feedback you need are reasonably accessible. And particularly if you're proactive, you can get these tools and devices. But you made other changes in addition. I did. So this is the other part that I also want to talk about, you know, finding a place where you feel comfortable and having access to equipment that is accessible for exercise, like in a gym um, or access to people who are willing to help you. That's a real challenge. When I was first diagnosed, I found a gym and at first they were all gun ho in, in reference to assisting me. And they were really good at that. But all of the equipment was all touchscreen based. So there was no way that I could independently configure it. You know, if you wanted to run, say, on an elliptical or a, or a treadmill or something. And they were really good for the first three to six months. And then they, you know, sort of drifted away. And then that discouraged me in continuing. Well, of course, if you needed sighted assistance all the time just to use the equipment every time you came into the gym, I, I can understand how people got tired of that. Exactly. Exactly. You wouldn't do it. And you probably got tired of it, too. I did. I did. And and so, you know, I, I'll admit there were a few years there where I wasn't doing that. So I knew that I needed to do something from an exercise perspective, but I also needed to figure out what to do about my weight because it was becoming a problem. And I knew that if I could solve this one, that I probably would add 10 to 20 years to my life. And that would make a lot of people happy, including me. So it took quite a journey to get there, but I ended up making some pretty major life changes for myself, which I'm happy to say I am now off all diabetes medication with an A1C well below six, well within the normal range uh, without any sort of diabetes medication at all. Well, congratulations. That is really a tribute to the work you put into this and the dedication. Of all of the diabetics we know, you're like the second or third person we've talked to who's been able to get himself off insulin by just controlling what you eat and your weight and your fitness level. That's, that's really huge. Now, admittedly, most people will not go to the extent that I did. But I felt that I needed a tool to assist me in that process. And by the way, there's no shame in that. There is no reason to think that if you're in a situation similar to what I was in, that you should not look at um, this as an option. All options should be on the table for uh, everyone. And everyone should take a look at them to see if they meet their specific goals and and would, would get them to where they need to be. So clearly you are driven about this and you had a very worthy goal in mind, but I did. what was the magic to get you to this point? What did you have to do to change your lifestyle? Well, right. So first I needed to decide what route I wanted to take. So I first started by actually going on a supervised weight loss program and I did that for about a year and I lost, I don't know, 30, 35 pounds. And that was even exercising quite a bit and doing those types of things. But I wasn't getting to the point where I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to get down to what I kind of looked like, you know, maybe back in 88 when I got married, you know, kind of thing. Because um, I think that's where I needed to be for my health. So after going through that process, which a lot of insurance companies mandate before you take the next step, I then looked at surgical options to assist me in this process. And one of the things that I 
that I told myself was, well, first of all, if I'm going to even look at that as an option, I need to live that lifestyle first to find out if that would even work. Because you hear these stories about people who go ahead, go ahead and either get a sleeve or a gastric bypass or something like that. And then they're a year, two years, three years later, they're right back to where they were because they did not follow the program. They didn't use the tool correctly. They didn't do what their uh, medical team told them to do um, for whatever reason. And so it was, you know, lots of money out the window and uh, for not. So that's exactly what I did. I, I started the process, which by the way, can take months to go through and be evaluated. You have to get a psychological uh, evaluation done. Uh, you have to be evaluated by a medical team. You have to get all kinds of medical tests done. I, I don't know that I've ever had so many medical tests done in my entire life. But when I started that process, I thought, okay, I am now going to follow this structure of eating and exercising as though I was someone that has had this procedure done. And I'm going to see if I can do it. And what's special about how you would eat and exercise in that situation? So if you have this type of procedure, there's not as much room to eat. Three weeks to a month prior to you having surgery, they put you on a pretty restricted um, diet, which is uh, highly based in protein and, of course, no, you know, very limited carbs, um, probably less than 18 carbs a day, you know, that type of a thing. And that's mainly to shrink your liver down so that they have room to work as they're operating. But uh, those principles still apply as you move out after having surgery. And so I tend to eat between 1,400 and 1,700 calories a day is what I try to stick to. Uh, I stick to a pretty regimented diet of protein, very limited carbs if I possibly can, you know, as much as I can. I try to limit that to about 30 is where they want me at a day. Uh, which, by the way, is really, really hard when you think about a glass of milk is 12 grams of carbs in it. That doesn't give you much latitude for the rest of the day. No, it does not. This all sounds very regimented and that you had to be very structured. Did you find this easy to make this transition or was it difficult at first? Well, it was very difficult at first, uh, but it became easier over time. Is it more natural now and you don't have to think about it so much? It is more natural now. Yeah, I don't even have to think about it much now. Um, that also came along with my exercise regimen. So I tend to walk about five to six and sometimes about seven miles a day. I try to burn about 800 to 1,000 calories a day in exercise. And that also helps me both maintain and potentially you know, even lose a little bit more. I would love to be able to lose another 20 pounds or so, but that last 20 is tough. But I'm actually very, very happy where I'm at. It was fun buying clothes over that period of time. Had to buy clothes, base, replace all my clothes at least three times. But the thing that's, that's sort of motivating about this is that, one, it feels great to be able to accomplish a goal that one sets out to better one's health um, and to know that you'll be around a lot longer. I had doctors who in the past told me, you know, people in your situation with, you know, this is something you probably never will be able to accomplish. And then I go and see them and they're shocked, you know, that I was able to do that. I was told by my medical team that, you know, only 1% of the people who were faced with your specific situation and specific goals meet them. 
So it's not easy. It's not easy. But you know what? You don't have to necessarily do everything that I did. Every 10 pounds that you lose gets you closer to that target of, of decreasing the amount of medication that you need to control whatever conditions or uh, comorbidities that you may have. So it's also taking baby steps and doing what you can as an individual to be able to improve yourself. So don't feel like you have to you know, be magical and do everything that I did because that's not necessarily what has to happen. It's what you're comfortable with and what you feel that you can achieve. You talk about baby steps. That has to be one thing that makes this transition particularly difficult is you don't see a lot of change from day to day. You've seen the change over long term and you can see a night and day difference. But as you're working on this program from day to day, week to week, you probably don't see big changes. Yeah. And there were, there were times where you would lose quite a bit of weight and then you would stop and you wouldn't lose any for two months, you know, and you're thinking, oh, great. Is this where I'm going to plateau? And, I'm, you know, is my tool no longer working? You know, your body needs to learn to, to recalibrate itself at certain points in time. You know, we're human beings and, and our bodies have to sort of figure out, oh my gosh, you know, you're, you're making this major adjustment. I remember when uh, I first started this process and, and my resting heart rate was, I don't know, 130. Holy smokes. Yeah, really high, right? So which scared people a lot, right? And my resting heart rate now is what, 62, 64. Um, and when I sleep at night, it drops down into the, you know, 50s. And, you know, so yeah, <laughs> my heart doctor is also really happy with me. Yeah. So it's, again, one of these situations where you, you definitely see change, but it is definitely baby steps. But it's great to celebrate the baby steps as you go through them. You know, as you accomplish a goal, I, I, it's what I would do. I would set mini goals, you know, and say, okay, my first goal is to get below 300. And when I hit 299, it was, you know, I felt really, really excited, right? That, that I hadn't weighed that in a really long time. And then I thought, okay, my next goal is 280. And that, you know, I, I would try to do these in 20 pound increments. And, you know, and I, and I did that. And when I got down to, I don't know, 220 or something like that, that last 20, 25 pounds was really, really hard. And it took a lot of work to get there. So the message is basically baby steps, take the long range view and stick with the program. That's right. Stick with the program, whatever program that is, whatever tools that you decide to utilize and put, put forward, it's okay. You know, um, make those choices for yourself. Find someone who you trust to be able to help you and guide you through that process, but stick to it because there's only one you but you can do it. And uh, I can surely attest to that. It's a wonderful journey. And my wife has also done something similar. I won't speak for her, but it was sort of a great thing to work together as a couple in trying to better ourselves. And, you know, we own a, a king size bed and now we can't find each other now. It's pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot more room. I assume in addition to all of your numbers improving that you also feel a lot better. Oh, absolutely. A lot more energy, a lot more um, ability to just, you know, move around a lot better. It helps in just, you know, exercise in general. Uh, I mean, it got to the point where if I drop something, you know, sure, I could bend down and pick it up. But, you know, if I had gotten completely down on the ground, it would be difficult unless I would grab onto something to get up. 
it was difficult. Now, you know, I can jump up like a bunny rabbit. Well, Jeff, I really want to thank you for sharing your story and your experiences with all listeners, because I know a lot of this is very personal and often people don't like to share those, but these are great messages for people. And you really did a great job and it sounds like you've come to a really fine place. Well, thank you guys. And uh, yeah, I'm not done yet. I, I have a little bit more of a goal to, to complete myself, but we'll continue to push forward and we'll see where ultimately things end up. But I'm happy where I'm at right now. And I would just encourage everyone to, if you feel that you need to, to do something to better your health, whatever that may be for you, then take on that goal, take on that journey. And boy, if I can help in any way, by all means, um, let me know because I'm, I'm also happy to do what I can to help anyone better themselves. Absolutely. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to contact Jeff Bishop directly. If people do want to connect with you or have questions, how might they do that? Sure. You can reach me two ways. Uh, on Twitter, you can follow me at Jeff Bishop, J-E-F-F-B-I-S-H-O-P, or you can email me at jeff at jeffbishop.com. Do you have any other advice you'd like to pass on to our listeners? I guess my best advice for you would be to look at the material, especially if you're going to handle this from a medical perspective. Uh, a lot of the times they can provide documentation to you. And most doctors these days have these things in electronic format and all of the program material in reference to just the forms and things they wanted us to fill out for logging what we ate and, and all of that was also accessible. You may find that your medical team, team does not have all of that available to them readily, but I would push for that. If they don't have it, they'll get them. There were a few pieces of documentation they didn't have in electronic format, and they basically got their staff to get them in, in that format for me. Feel empowered to ask your team to provide things in accessible format. And then there's lots of forums, lots of places where you can communicate with others. I use an app called MyPlate to track all my uh, calorie intake. I find that to be probably the most accessible app right now on the iPhone for doing this. I've looked at, I don't know, dozens of these apps. And right now that seems to be my number one favorite at the moment. And of course, you can find all that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 2205. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about the optic low vision swimming aid. We'll speak with Mirta Hofstede, who designed this device in response to an assignment as a student to design any kind of device. And she chose to make one that would help low vision swimmers to independently know where they were in the pool and therefore be more competitive in swimming events. We hope you'll join us next week for that show. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. 
If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.